Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. First Peter, if you have your Bibles, we're continuing our series. And uh, I'm running on about three hours of sleep. My wife graduated from college yesterday, got to walk the stage. I want to get the lady who read all of their names to read our scripture. I mean, that lady was awesome. She read like 400 names and never made a single mistake. And uh, I don't know if you've seen what some people name their kids now, but it's like, I don't even know what that name is, you know? So there was a lot of that. But uh, I am excited to be continuing our series in First Peter. And today we're talking about something that I think is complicated for people who would say, you know, I'm not really a Christian. And it's also complicated for people who say, I, w- I am a Christian, but I don't really know how to do this without being weird. And what we're talking about is evangelism. Like, how do I live in a non-Christian world and share the gospel with people? And on one hand, you have people who are a little bit more bitter um, I don't mean like they're bitter, like they're mad. I mean, they're kind of like black licorice. Uh, how many of you like black licorice? It's just, you guys are weird. My, see, it's like, how do they keep that stuff in business? I don't, I don't understand. And, and what I mean by that is we have black licorice evangelists who are like the guys with the bullhorn on the corner yelling at you, repent or you're going to hell. And it's like, I don't know how effective that really is. I don't know of anybody uh, personally who's ever came to the Lord through that kind of evangelism. And it seems like we got people over here who are yelling at people to repent And then we got people over here who I would say are more like cotton candy. Now, we all like cotton candy, but we know it's terrible for our bodies, right? Like cotton candy is not good for your teeth. It's not good for your body. And if you try to live on cotton candy, it's not going to go well for you. And so what we end up doing over here on this side is, well, I don't want to be like those people, so I'm not going to share the gospel at all. Like I'm just going to kind of let things go as they do, and I'm going to try everything I can to not be this person. And I really think for most Christians, we want to be somewhere in the middle. Like, I, I, I want to live in such a way that my non-Christian friends experience Christ because he's so good. But there's so many people around me who have kind of ruined it for me or ruined it for them and kind of given a bad image of Christianity. And so it's really hard to be an evangelist. And then I'll just speak to kind of the, the mindset in the room that might say, well, why would we need to evangelize at all? Like, isn't that kind of just old school uh, or if you're, if you're not a Christian, really, this is just asinine to you. Like, why would you try to tell somebody to believe what you believe? And I kind of want to start there. I want to talk about why we evangelize, and then I want to talk about the method of evangelism that I believe Christians are to do, where there's, we're not cotton candy, and we're also not nasty black licorice. Amen? Amen. Nobody needs to be black licorice, please. Uh, okay, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump in. We'll talk about why and then how. Father, thank you for your grace. Uh, God, I pray that you would help me speak today. Uh, Lord, you'd help me uh, put together uh, thoughts that are the thoughts you want me to speak to your people. Lord, I pray that you would be with my listener, help them to open their mind and their heart uh, to what you might have to say to them today. And Lord, as we think about living in a world as Christians amongst non-Christians, and we think about some of those things that make us as Christians uh, really not all that effective at reaching people outside of the faith. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd Convict each of our hearts. You'd show us where we lie and you'd give us what we need to work on and how we can go out and be on the mission. Because, Lord, you sent us in Matthew 28 after you rose from the dead. This is one of the core commandments. You said, go, therefore, and make disciples. So, God, how do we do that? What does that look like in the 21st century? What does that look like in 2021 in our culture that is hostile towards any kind of singularity of belief? Lord, would you help us? It's in your name I pray. Amen. 
I want to start with uh, the, the first kind of misconception, which is that evangelism, first and foremost, is just for non-Christians. So to be an evangelist, uh, the, the word evangelism comes from the root word that we get the word gospel from. It's somebody who shares the gospel. The gospel is God's plan to save his creation from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, and then what we do is in light of that, we call people to believe it, believe it's true for you, and then to repent, which is to turn. That's not just for non-Christians. Like Blake Farley as a Christian needs to hear the gospel. You need to call me to believe in Jesus and repent. Like it, it works out this way. Blake, you are a forgiven sinner in what Jesus Christ has done for you. Like your, your, your debt is paid with Jesus. He took your place. You are a child of God. You cannot lose it. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit and you have a future hope in Jesus. Oh, that's awesome. I need to hear that. I need to be reminded of that. And I also need you to say, now because of that, you can't talk to your wife the way you just did, brother. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, I love you. Jesus loves you. And because you believe this, you're different from the world. As Peter says in here, you're a stranger and you're in exile. And what you just did there was not correct. Now, we don't do this to everybody. We just do this to the people we have close relationships with. Like, there's three or four people in this room who they come up to me and they tell me something like that. I'm going to take it serious. Now, there's some of you, if I don't know you and you come to me and say that, I'm going to say, get, away, get out of my face. You don't even know me. Uh, I would never say that to you guys. I love you guys. Uh, but it, there's people in our lives, even as Christians, who we need to hear the gospel. We need to believe and we need to repent. It's not just for non-Christians, although that's what Peter's talking about primarily here. The, the second misconception I hear is that, hey, Blake, in the 21st century, shouldn't we just try to not convert anybody? Like, really, shouldn't we just, I'll live my life, they live their life, and we'll just kind of not try to convert people to what we believe. And I, I totally sympathize with that way of looking at the world. The problem is, is that we all try to convert. We all are in the converting business, whether you know it or not. So, for instance, when, when you share something on Facebook about your favorite political party, what you're doing is you're trying to convert people who don't think like you think. If you're sharing your, your favorite restaurant, you're trying to convert people to come to your restaurant. And you might say, Blake, well, that's with restaurants and that's with politics. But with God and how people live, shouldn't that be a little bit different? And I would say, no, not even that. Because what Tim Keller would say is that the, the people who are trying to say you shouldn't convert anybody are actually in that saying trying to convert people. Like you are trying to convert all the people who are trying to convert people to not convert people anymore. <laughs> it's a truth that eats itself. It's, it's also like, hey, Blake, there's no absolute doctrine. Like there, there's, there's no one way of living. Uh, it reminds me of a, a story that I heard of a, a professor who stood up in front of a class on day one and he said, there is no absolute truth. And there was a kid in the back, he raised his hand, he said, professor, are you sure about that? He said, absolutely. <laughs> See the, the cycle we get in here? See, it's, it's nice in our heads to mentally say, hey, th th there's no one right way of looking at the world. There's a common uh, thing that I've heard where people say, you know, it's kind of like an elephant where we're all touching one piece of the elephant. Uh, and like, you know, you find your way to God and I find my way to God. But, but really, when we're saying that, we're kind of being a little bit arrogant because we're saying we can see the whole elephant. Like, who are we to say that we are the ones that see the elephant? See, it's not really based on a logical, coherent thing. It's really it's based on feeling, which is ironic because in the world, the, the rational type view that we think is, hey, you know, it's 21st century. If you want to follow Jesus, you do your thing. If you want to follow Muhammad, you do your thing. If you want to follow Buddha, you do your thing. If you don't want to be religious at all, you do your thing. I'm never going to tell you what I truly believe. But really, friends, that is actually based totally on feelings. Like we do that because we feel like it's right. And when we talk about not trying to convert anybody because all beliefs are kind of equal, 
Uh, what we're also talking about generally is just like the three main religions, the three or four, the, the mindfulness and, uh, you know, uh, Buddhism. And then we've, uh, I see, I'm, I'm so tired. Muhammad, what's his religion? Muslim. Okay. <laughs> they pay me to do this, really. Uh, and Christianity, and we think about those things. But there would be nobody in this room who would say, it's okay for a cult to kill all of its children. And yet, why do we say that? See, I, as a Christian perspective, I can say I say that because God has made everybody in the image of him. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, there's a certain amount of dignity that you deserve. See, I have a logical foundation for my beliefs. But to the person who says all beliefs are okay, what you're actually saying is, well, I just don't think it's right because I don't feel like it's right. But what if somebody else feels different from what you think is right? You see how there's not really a foundation for our beliefs here. So this is one reason why we evangelize. The second reason we evangelize is because if we believe that Jesus is the truth, if we believe he's the ultimate way to life, not just after death, but life right now, if he's the, he is the one who came and said, all truth kind of gets a little bit of the elephant, and I'm the elephant. Like they're all touching a little bit of me, and I came, and I'm the God of this universe. I am the Son of God. Then we would be foolish to not say that to the world. Now, the, the part that uh, Lindsay didn't read because... You know, I didn't think she needed any more. Uh, was First Peter verse four and five, verse four, ver, chapter four, verse five and six. It says they will give, talking about people who don't believe, an account to the one who stands by, ready to judge the living and the dead. Man, if I believe that, if I believe that when people die, they're going to stand before God, and I don't tell them, I'm not a very good person, right? Like if that's if I truly, authentically believe what the Bible says, and I don't tell you then I am not a very good person, am I? It's like the doctor who refuses to tell somebody they have cancer because he doesn't want to hurt their feelings. Well, you didn't hurt their feelings, but you weren't a very good person. It says, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. Which, if we are Christians and we've experienced this death to life, then we should want other people to experience what we've experienced. Like, I, I think Jesus is good. I don't follow Jesus because I'm afraid of God's wrath. I follow Jesus because of his love. I've experienced it, right? Like, like, I'm not going to God because it's like a fire insurance. You know, I've heard people, well, you ought to just believe in God because otherwise you're going to burn in hell. And if he doesn't exist, and it doesn't bother you anyways. I don't know why I talk like a redneck. Uh, <laughs> just kind of how it came to my mind there. But in, in reality, that's not who Jesus calls to himself. He calls those who love him, who say, you're my supreme treasure. You're not just so I, I don't have to go to hell when I die. No, it's I love Jesus so much that I would give my life for him. That's the kind of Christian I am. And if I believe that to be the good truth, then I want you to experience it also. And you guys who are kind of against me or maybe your mindset's a little bit different, you might think I'm completely crazy, but I just I want you to kind of come from that foundation. That's where I stand on it, and that's where I think I have a pretty good logical foundation to build upon as now I want to talk about how we actually evangelize because we do it really badly, a lot of us. And my belief on how we ought to evangelize people is we should evangelize people by living in such a way that people demand an, uh, an explanation. Like you should live in such a way that is so different from the world that people say, why would you do that? People say that to me all the time. Like, why would you do that? Usually it's not about Christianity. It's about ADHD. But the, the, the point for all of us as Christians is if we live in such a way that makes us different, people are going to say, now, why in the world would you do that? And that's when we have the, the chance to actually proclaim the gospel. We demonstrate it with our lives so that we can proclaim it. 
uh, Young Life as an organization, and they say you have to earn the right to share the gospel. You have to earn the right to share the gospel. You have to have a favor with the people. So I want to look at three ways uh, we can get favor with people and three ways uh, we ought to live as Christians that will demand an ex- explanation. Uh, Second Peter, First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, the non-believers, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works. And a lot of us would love to just stop there, but that's not where Peter stops. He says, and will glorify God on the day he visits. How do we do that? Well, number one, I think Peter would say, is we've got to honor everyone. Whether they believe what we believe or not, we honor everyone, which is to give them the value that God gives them. And we, we look at this as we keep going. Second Peter, starting in verse 13. First Peter, chapter 2. It really confuses me when there's numbers before the book and after the book. It messes with me all the time. So when I mess up, just in your own head, fix it. All right. Verse 13. You guys doing all right? You guys seem tired today. <laughs> Get some more coffee out there. Okay. Verse 13. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. So Peter starts by saying, honor the emperor. Now you might not like the president in the White House, or you may like the president in the White House, but what you got to understand is the culture that Peter's writing into is completely different than any politics we have today. Because the emperor in his time was much more like a dictator. It wasn't like, we get to vote. No, it was like, you're going to do what that guy says, or he's going to cut your neck off. And yet Peter says what? He says this. As we skip, I want to skip down to uh, verse 16. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. And he says this. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, and honor the emperor. And then he starts talking about submission, which is very interesting, right? So I I love how Peter says, you honor the emperor, but why? Well, first it starts with fearing God. In other words, I'm honoring you because of who God says you are. So really, who am I doing? I'm respecting God. And by respecting God, what I do is I give honor to people who maybe I don't even really want to honor. And then he gives this amazing example of a slave. He says, household slaves, submit to your uh, slave masters, which is crazy. And I don't have time to get into slavery, but their concept of slavery was different than ours in the sense that it wasn't based on race, but but it was still this kind of thing where you couldn't get out of it. You had a master over you. And Christianity at first kind of had this idea of, well, if God's my master, then I can rebel against my slave master or I can rebel against the government. And yet Peter says, no, it's different than that, that you're actually going to submit and honor those people based upon who God says they are. And he says, God sees you and God loves you and God's with you. And see, for a lot of us, this is really hard to kind of grasp. Because in those areas in our lives where we have people over us that we don't respect, it's very hard to honor them based upon who God says they are. And for a lot of us, especially on the the black licorice side of things, we want to rebel against any kind of authority that goes against what we would say. And and I want to put it in our culture and give some practical examples of what this looks like. How do we, how do we honor people who maybe we don't agree with? And in our culture, I thought of three ways that were kind of similar to what maybe Peter was talking about with the household slaves in the, in the Roman Empire. And number one is, how, how do you deal with politics on social media? See, it's easy to, to honor political leaders that we like, but it's not so easy to honor political leaders we don't like. 
And the reason I bring up social media is because I see more social media stuff than I think I ever have before. And it's not very honoring to say things that are slandering somebody else, even if you think that they are true. Even if you think this is totally true. As Christians, we should be strangers and exiles looking a little bit different than the world. My, my personal strategy on social media is I don't want you to know what I believe politically. And, and I think probably just in person, I'm like that too. I'll talk about certain policies and things I believe, but you guys will probably have no idea how I voted, and I like to keep it that way. You know why? Because my primary concern is not whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. My primary concern is I want you to follow Jesus. Like, there, there's never a perfect guy in the White House. It's never going to be our Savior. Do you realize that? Every guy in the White House, your favorite president, George Washington, the dude died. He's not going to save you. Jesus is the ruling king of the universe. I want you to follow him as your king. And so to protect my favor with you, a lot of times, you know what I do when it comes to politics? I bite my tongue. Friends, do you have the ability to bite your tongue as Christians? Because you can win the argument and lose the relationship, and it doesn't matter that you won the argument. Do you understand that? Like, you can be right, or you can keep the relationship. I choose to keep the relationship. And I would pray that you do also. See, we we, we honor the man in the White House. We honor those who maybe we don't like because we care about what God says about them, first and foremost, and what God says about the people who follow him. And you might think, those people, they don't have any brain that follow such and such person. And that's that's perfectly fine. But bite your tongue. Because you might not be just as smart as you think that you are. So friends, do you honor people on social media? Number two, I thought of our students. Those who still live in their parents, with their parents, go to school. A lot of times, as a kid, you feel like, man, my parents aren't very uh, worthy of honor. right? And my parents make rules, and then they don't follow their own rules. And so why should I follow them? And, and it can lead to kind of a rebellion. And the same with teachers. Like, my, my teacher's not a very good teacher, not a very good person. So why should I follow them? And God would say, you follow them because of who I am. And see, by respecting them even when it doesn't feel right, by honoring their authority over you, even when it doesn't feel right, you are showing them the love of God. And that's exactly what Peter says. I find it really interesting what he ties it to. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 25, talking about submitting to slave masters, the reason we do this, the therefore, is because Jesus did this for us in the gospel. It says, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judged justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body. He took our place on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, what Jesus did is he completely flipped the honor and shame culture on its head. Um, and this is kind of an ethic that's really baked into America. It's one of the values that we really have as people. Uh, that We don't even realize it's, it's a Christian ethic. And that is we honor people based upon who they are, not based upon ourselves. So if you go back before Jesus, every culture, and a lot of cultures still in this world today, they honor people based upon what will shame or honor them. So uh, a professor in, in New York uh, shared this. He, he talks every year to his students before they come in. He asks them a question. He says, would you ever punch an old lady in the face and take her purse? Every kid says no, uh, hopefully. And, 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 and then he says this. He says, why do you do it? And there's two options. Option number one, 
you don't do it because it'd make you look bad and you would be shamed by culture if you did it. Or option number two, you don't do it because you could put yourself in the old lady's shoes and she deserves to be treated better than that. And what he says is 97% of the students will choose the others based one first. Like they'll say, I don't do it because of who she is. That is a uniquely Christian ethic because Jesus came and he completely was shamed. He came and he hung naked on a tree, the God of the universe. The gods don't come to, uh, uh, to dwell with humans at all, and they certainly don't come unless they're coming as a king. That was the thought before Jesus. And yet Jesus comes as a poor carpenter, and what does he do? He dies for our sins on the cross, naked, being mocked at, spit in the face. And yet he's doing it. Why? So that you and I don't have to bear our own shame, so that we can have honor. And see, so sometimes we honor people even when we don't feel like honoring them. And I see that in students. Number three, here's the last one, I think, in our culture, which is, how, how do you treat your boss? And namely, do, do you gossip about your boss? Here's something that will, that will deserve a why from somebody. When your boss comes in and he might be or she might be the worst boss, like they're, they're high one day and low the next day. And, and what happens is when they give you a whole lot of work and they walk out of the room and everybody's gossiping about the boss, what do you do? Do you honor him? Do you honor her? Or do you begin to kind of talk with everybody else? Are, are you, if I were to watch a conversation with you and your coworkers, would I see a difference in you and the ones who don't follow Jesus? See, we, we, we honor people by submitting to their authority over us, even when we don't like it. We bite our tongues sometimes. We don't slander those who maybe in our mind deserve slandering. Why? Well, because Jesus did the same for us. We deserve slander, condemnation, and judgment from God. And yet, what does he do? He comes, he bleeds, and he dies for our sins so that we can have life. All right, so we move on. And this should also, I want to say this real quick, this should also be true in our relationships within our marriage and families. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner. Now, ladies, don't get offended. He's just talking biologically. Normally, the man can bench press more than the woman. And I know some of you are like, that's not true in my relationship. And I get it. What Peter's saying is normally the vessel, the thing that God gave you, is stronger than her. And in this culture, what often happened is the man just kind of dominated the family because he could physically move his wife around. And Peter says, Christian man, you don't do that. And then he says something super powerful. It says, showing them honor as co-heirs of grace of life. In other words, in God's sight, they are equal to you. They have a weaker vessel, but they are equal to you. And then he says, so that your prayers will not be hindered which is super powerful, right? Like, you think you're stronger than her, but I'm on her side. You want to make me mad, buddy? I won't listen to your prayers anymore. That's pretty powerful. You guys don't look like it's powerful, but it is. So I want to ask just a couple questions about our relationships as Christians. Number one, parents, how do you treat your children? See, in our culture, women have more freedom than they've ever had, which is awesome, but I still think sometimes we, we domineer over children in our culture. Which is like, you know, hey, you have to do what I say to do because I am the boss of the house. And what can happen to a lot of kids is they, they can even be in a religious home and they hear a lot about God and obeying God and we're going to do things God's way. But what it really looks like to them is, well, we always just do things the way mom wants it done or the way dad wants it done. And what can begin to happen is, well, it seems like dad is God or mom is the goddess of this house. And you really stunt your kids spiritually when you don't ever allow them to disagree with your beliefs, when you don't ever allow them to have their own opinions on things and do things their way, even if it's not the way you would want them to do it. N number two, husbands, how do you talk about your wife when she's not there? 
You can honor your wife by talking differently about her when she's not there. Because I've been in conversations with guys when their wives aren't around and, and then the jokes start flying. And you know what? You're going to be asked why you don't talk the way they do if you honor her even when she's not there. And the same is true for wives. Wives, do you respect your husband when he's not around? See, and honor is also how we stay unified in the church. We should honor one another. He talks about that in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. So number one, we got to honor everyone. Number two, fear God only. We fear God only. So this is, some of you are like, well, if we do that honor thing and we submit and we don't slander those who slander, aren't we kind of setting ourselves up for abuse? Like, won't people just run us over? And no, actually the fascinating thing is, is we have more power that because we ultimately fear God, that when it is time to step up for true injustice, we don't even fear death. That's why the apostle Paul in chains could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like Paul was the most fearless warrior for Christ. Why? He said, because like, if you're going to chain me here to you, buddy, then I'm just going to preach the gospel to you all day. And this Roman soldier is going to eventually give his life to Christ because he's annoyed with me. Or you can let me go because you're annoyed. And if I go out, I'm going to keep doing what I was doing. I'm going to proclaim the mission of God and say, okay, Paul, well, we're going to cut your head off. Awesome. I get to be with Jesus Christ. Like, what can you do with a guy like that? There's nothing you can do with a guy like that. And see what, what uh, Peter goes on to say here in 1 Peter uh, 1. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, I'm going to get it eventually, I promise, uh, is he's talking about wives and submitting themselves, but you'll actually see a kind of a subtle strength that he gives women that they don't actually have in the culture, which is really interesting. It says, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And he's talking about husbands who don't believe in God. This is a wife who she believes, but her husband doesn't. And in this culture, whatever the man believed was supposed to be what the household believed. You weren't supposed to have that kind of freedom as a woman to believe different than your husband. So that even if some disobey the word, they will be won over without a word by the way their wives live. When they observe your pure, reverent lives, don't, uh, yeah, verse three, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles, wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes. In other words, live a life that is so good that even if they don't believe what you believe, they'll be grateful that you believe what you believe. Verse four, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is great worth, which is of great worth in God's sight. And then it says, for in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands. And this is where it gets kind of subtle. And it's, it's really kind of comical, actually. Verse six, it says, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Now, I want you guys to go back to Genesis and read the story of Sarah and Abraham. Because Sarah actually did not obey Abraham. Abraham obeyed Sarah. Abraham was a very weak feller. Uh, he, he, he was a coward. He was spineless. And Sarah told him to do something. And Abraham's like, oh, I don't know if I can do that or not. And God's like, dude, listen to your wife. Submit to what she's saying to do. Which is really ironic. Because what Peter is saying here is he is saying, I want you outwardly to submit, but you're not submitting because you're afraid of your husband. You're not submitting because you're afraid of the Roman Empire. There, there, there is no intimidation coming your way from them. You know why? Because you ultimately fear God, which gives you great power because you have an inner freedom in Christ that they can't take away from you. Amen. Do you realize that? When your freedom's inside, it doesn't matter if I'm in prison. You can't take it away from me because I'm a free person. Friends, I wonder if you live this way. Are you brave in this way? See, we're often brave behind the backs of people, but we're often kind of weak in front of people. And, and so three kind of examples in our culture really quick. Number one, 
workers. Back to the boss thing. Are you able to stand up to your boss when they are actually doing injustices to others? Like when when your boss is talking bad about people in a way they don't deserve, are you willing to stand up to your boss and say, hey, I don't think it's right for you to talk about people that way? Well, Blake, if I talk to my boss like that, I might lose my job. I know. Are you free or are you not? Do you fear the money that comes from your job and your boss or do you fear God? Do you respect God above all else? See the freedom this gives us? Or with students, I talked to you earlier, can you stand up to a teacher who is treating a student inappropriately? Like you honor and you submit to them, but, but you're in a little 8th grader, 7th grader, and you stand up to your history teacher and you say, hey, it's not right for you to talk about that girl that way. Oh, Blake, I might get detention or I might... I know. Do you fear God or do you fear the history teacher? And in the government, this is one of the most fascinating stories is the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a beautiful Christian who was a Christian in the time of uh, Nazi Germany. And he was executed by the Germans for saving Jewish people. And you know why he was able to do that? Because he had internal freedom. I'm not scared of you, Hitler. I'm not scared of you, Nazis. What's the worst you can do to me? Kill me? Great! I'm going to paradise! And if you don't kill me, I have to live for this mission that Jesus has given me. See, friends, can we live that way? Because if we do, that's attractive to the world. Like, hey, you don't ever slander our boss behind our back, but you stood up for that coworker who doesn't have as much power as you. That's weird. That's stranger. That's exile stuff. That's upside down type stuff. This is what Peter calls us to. 1 Peter 3, 17 and 18, it says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. In other words, don't gossip and get in trouble for it. Stand up to your boss for what's right and get in trouble for it. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He's tying it back into the gospel, what Jesus Christ did for us again. Now, here's the last one. Uh, Number three, pursuit of personal integrity. Pursuit of personal integrity. Uh, As we continue, 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22 presents the gospel and baptism. uh, And then it goes this, uh, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 4 says, Therefore... Anytime you ever see a therefore in the Bible, you should always ask, what's that therefore? It's just a little Bible study tip for you. And the therefore is in connection with the gospel, what Jesus did for us. So, so in light of that, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent doing what the Gentiles choose to do. Carrying on in unrestrained behaviors, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. Which, by the way, if you're one of those people who say, our world is worse than it's ever been. Did you just see what I read? My gosh, these people were nuts. Verse 4, they are surprised, and this part is still true for our culture, they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. It's not always like, oh, you Jesus freak kind of slandering. It's, it's kind of like... Why, why wouldn't you do this? Or why would you do that? Or, oh, they think they're better than me because they're not doing this, even though that might not be your heart. And yet when we do this, when we live this way, it demands an explanation from a few to ask, why? Why, Blake, are you living differently than me? Why are you not participating in the things that I participate in? And look, here, here's also a thing I want you to understand. When I talk about living in personal integrity, the reason I say that is we pursue it is because people don't expect you to be perfect. Like, actually, perfect people to us come off as very inauthentic. What people can't stand who are living in the world is hypocrites. 
People who say this kind of sexual ethic is the way you have to live and they judge people and yet you find out that they're living a completely different sexual ethic in their personal life. This is what people hate. This is what people cannot stand Christians for when we do these kind of things. The person who stands up and says, look, I'm struggling. I have a problem with this sin, but I'm working on it. I'm striving for it. And with all vulnerability, they open up and they share that with you. That is truly what is unique. That is truly what is special. Because you can say, how in the world can you say that? And how are you beginning to find freedom in living in that way? And see, when we begin to do things that pursue integrity and we do it with vulnerability, people begin to ask us why. So I I thought of seven different ways, just really quick, that this could pop up. Uh, In my own life, uh, like number one, my phone is locked up. This is the dumbest smartphone you've ever seen in your life. Uh, It doesn't do very much at all. Rick Hay has my passcode. And and that is very uh, kind of embarrassing at times when we're with friends or something and they send me a YouTube video and I'm like, "Uh, I can't watch it. Uh, Or like, hey, Blake, can you Google this for me? Absolutely, I can't. Uh, All I got is the Bible on this thing and text messaging. Uh, And people will look at me like, well, why do you do that? And I can say, because... I am a man who is given to lust. Like, that is just where my heart goes. I struggle. And this is a little porn box. Like, this phone right here has all sorts of power. You can take a man to the moon, and I don't need that kind of power in my life. I need this thing to call people. I need to read my Bible on this thing. And that's about all I need. And you see what I'm saying there is I'm not coming from a place of strength. I'm actually coming from a place of weakness. But that is authentic and that is real to people. And some people will say, well, that's weird or whatever. But there's one person maybe or two people who will say, you know what? I think I would like to live in that kind of way. Or, or number two is uh, distancing yourself from places and people. Like you used to go to that place. You don't go there anymore. You used to hang out with that friend all the time. It's not that you don't like them anymore. It's just you go places with them and you end up doing things you don't feel good about anymore because God's changed your desires. You do that, people are going to ask you Why? Number three, you might just be changing the music you listen to. Or four, ending a relationship. Like you're dating your boyfriend, you're dating your girlfriend, and you end up, well, this isn't God's will for my life anymore. And you you break up with them, and people are going to say, why would you do that? Or five, fasting and denying yourself. Our culture loves food. We eat three, four, five times a day. So for you to be the weird type of person who stops eating, your friends ask why you do that, what an awesome opportunity to share the gospel with them. Or number six, uh, going to a Christian therapist to do deep work. Like, uh, I used to think therapy was for weak people. Now I know it's for weak people. But actually, strength is wisdom. Strength is not thinking you can do it all yourself. So I'm able to say that to people. Or number seven, uh, prioritizing your church involvement. Like, all of a sudden, like, you care about being at Ascent and doing things with Ascent. Lacey Burns had a child. Like, how many days ago? Not even, like three days, maybe, two days. She's here. What are you doing here? That's weird. Why? You know, that's awesome. You know why? Because, yes, clap for them. That's cool. Baby number seven, right? And they all start with E. It's awesome. They're going to run out of E names. (laughs) When we do things like that, people ask why. So I I want to just read those three, three things I gave you one more time. And just work on one of them. Say, which one am I honestly having the most struggles with? Number one, do you honor everyone? Like, do, do you, you choose to submit when you could slander? Number two, uh, do you fear God only? Like, are you able to stand up to people who have more worldly authority than you because you believe the ultimate authority is God? And then number three, are you pursuing personal integrity? Now, which, which of those three? Because you can be like, wow, Blake, I'm a failure at all of them. And trust me, I know. I'm me too. Uh, so just pick one of them. What's the one area where you're like, man, I'm, I'm not living as a stranger or an exile in this area? 
And then when you do, you get the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And Peter gives us advice on how to proclaim the gospel. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3, starting in verse 13 through 16, says this. It says, Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy and ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence. I'm going to read this again for some of you black licorice people. Verse 16. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. So when people ask you why, be prepared with a gospel answer. See, I, I worry about a lot of Christians because we know what, like, what we're supposed to say. like We know the right answer, but we don't know why we have the right answer. And that makes us really ineffective. So in other words, you, you, can, you can say, you know, hey, I, I see somebody and uh, they're, they're living with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. And they say, Blake, doesn't it, doesn't it say in the Bible that you're supposed to wait till marriage? Uh, isn't that kind of weird? And if I'm just a Christian who just knows that and I'm like, yeah, you're not supposed to have uh, sexual relations until you're married to somebody. Uh, and they're like, well, why do you do that? And I'm, uh, I, I don't know, because the Bible says it. I'm not very effective at what I'm doing. But if I can say, yeah, actually, that is what the Bible teaches, and here's why. Because marriage is a picture of the way Jesus loves the church. Marriage, for me as a Christian, is all about commitment. Because Jesus committed to me. He didn't wait to find out if I was the right person for him. And honestly, in a worldly sense, it might be more effective for you guys. It is probably more effective for you guys to live together and get to know each other and do things before you get married so you can try them out like a car. But in God's view... I'm sorry, I'm tired, okay? That was the first offensive thing I said today. Give me a break. I was this close to a gold sticker. But in the Christian worldview, uh, commitment, because of the way Jesus loves the church, is more important. And the way Jesus loved the church, the way Jesus loved me, is when I was a sinner. Romans says, while I was an enemy of God, not before I was cleaned up and before I was right for him, while I was an enemy, he came and he bled and he died for me so that I might have eternal life in him. That's a lot more impactful than just saying, well, because the Bible says it. No, you see, it's because the gospel shows it. And my life is a gospel representation. And that's why I do things differently. Molly, you can go ahead and come up. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And I want you to reflect upon those three things. If you're a Christian here today, which of those three things are you kind of falling in? Or which of those three things is God uh, pricking your heart towards to begin to work on? I'm going to give you about 20 seconds to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what are you saying to me? It might be that you're not honoring everyone the way you should. You slander them. Or it might be that you don't ultimately respect God. You, you respect man and you're kind of weak to authority. Or, or, or maybe for you, it's I'm not really pursuing a life of personal integrity as I pursue after Christ Jesus. Just take about 20 seconds and say, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? Eyes closed, head bowed, just between me and you so I can pray for you. If you would say, Blake, uh, I, I think for me it's number one. Like, I don't honor everyone the way I should. I don't honor my mom or my boss or people in the world, politicians the way that I should. If that's you, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you? Thank you. God, I pray for these people. Lord, I pray that they would see people the way you see them, that they would value relationships over being right for your kingdom's sake. 
Number two, if you'd say, Blake, I don't, I don't fear God in the way you're talking about, respecting him ultimately. And sometimes it leads me to being weak. I, I look at injustice and I kind of just let it go by. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now so I could pray for you? Father, give us courage like Paul had. God, in my own heart, this is mine. As I'm weak, I hate conflict. A lot of times I would rather just kind of smile and go along with it. And I understand that there's other people in the room with me who feel the same way. God, would you give us ultimate respect for you so that we can be like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and stand up even if it costs us our life? Lord, and we thank you for giving your life for us. And then number three, how many of you would say, Blake, I'm not pursuing personal integrity in my own life. And that's, that's the thing I need to work on to be an effective evangelist for the kingdom of God. Would you just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? Thank you, God, for the honesty. God, thank you for these people. Uh, the first step of personal integrity is not getting everything right. It's just being honest about it and beginning to work towards it wholeheartedly. Uh, Lord, I pray for these people. I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would transform them through the work of the church, the people of God, the relationship and the grace of Jesus. Lord, they would begin to become more and more like you as they pursue integrity. And God, give us all courage when we're asked the question of why you live this way to be able to tell them about the Savior we have found in our lives, to invite them to believe in the same Savior. Jesus, we love you and praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing to this God. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.